Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, Oh, you also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your inspired word that you have given to us directly from the working of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we as a body together confess that this word that we sit under now to receive our nourishment from, our correction from, is inerrant. It will not fail us in the future, and it is without error in its record. So, Father, with faith, we then sit down before it and we receive the preaching that comes from your word. We receive this to be utterly truthful. And so, Lord, where we find ourselves in a disconnect between your word and the life we're leading, we pray that you'd grant us repentance, that we would not rewrite your word or get out from underneath the weight of it, but we would confess our sin, submit to it as submitting to you, our head, that you would come, that you would refresh, you would renew, and that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins as we humbly confess them. Lord, if we are in need of encouragement, use this word to inspire and encourage. If we are in need of correction, be our faithful shepherd and draw us to correction through this word. Lord, bring glory to yourself as we, your people, desire to be obedient to you. So now, Lord, nourish us underneath the weight of your word. Bless Pastor Dan as he comes. Thank you again for this inspired word of God. In your name we pray. Amen. As Pastor, I mentioned we finished Luke 22 last week, but we did skip over this section. And so, as Pastor, I've dealt with the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas and then moved on to the end, to the beginning of his time standing before the council. We want to come back and look at Peter for just a moment. It's a fairly well-known story from the Gospels. If, you are, um, if you've been in church for a length of time, it's one you're probably familiar with. Maybe for some you're not. But the, the Peter denying Jesus becomes a, a pretty well-known story in the Gospels. I, I think, unfortunately, it, 
we tend to really pile it on Peter. It seems what he does is unthinkable in denying Jesus Christ this way, not just once, but three times. And we can become a little bit hard on Peter, but I want to today take a step back and allow us to see ourselves in the position of Peter. Because when you read this story on the surface, it feels very stark and very, how could someone do this? I mean, he just outright denied Jesus three times in a row. I mean, who does that? But I think if we can put ourselves in the, in the place of Peter and think honestly, we'll quickly see that we fall into this category all of us do at some point in our lives. Maybe you don't verbally come right out and say, I deny Jesus, but the way that you act, the decisions that you make, the way you schedule your life, the way that you use your finances, the way that you use your time, the way you plan your weekends... The way you act in the workplace can often be to deny Jesus Christ, his kingship in your life. To deny the fact that you're a Christian first and foremost, that he is your highest treasure in pursuit. You might not come right out and deny Jesus Christ, but your life sets up in such a way often that it does deny Christ. You think of interactions you've had at work or, or, or just decisions you've made over the past few weeks. And suddenly, looking at Peter being, oh, he denied Christ, doesn't seem quite so out there that that's possible to happen. I find Peter a very sympathetic character and one who we can definitely find ourselves sharing in his temptation and his experience of sin from time to time. Maybe... We're not like Peter by personality. Some of you may recognize the personality of Peter as it emerges through the gospel, but Peter is kind of clearly the leader of the pack as far as the 12 disciples go. There's much more written about him than any of the other disciples. You hear him talking a whole lot more than the others. And he kind of emerges as that leader, and you begin to see a personality that comes forth of a bold, passionate follower of Christ, who some of the most profound statements in the Gospels come from the mouth of Peter. It was him early on, if you remember the miracle of when they're fishing, they're catching no fish, and Jesus tells them, hey, cast your net one last time, and they bring in that huge haul. And Jesus, and Peter has this early recognition, almost the earliest of anyone, that this is someone special before him, as he says, I I can't dwell in your presence. There's holiness here. In fact, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark, it is the confession of of Peter that hinges that whole Gospel in chapter 8 as it comes to, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And finally, Jesus turns and he asks Peter, and Peter's response is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you have these amazing statements. It's It's Peter in faith, you remember, who, again, when they're out in the boat and the storm is raging all around them, and Jesus comes walking out on the water, and there's some terrified people, disciples in this boat, wondering, who is this person walking towards us? And it's Peter, by faith, who steps out of that boat and walks towards his Lord. And again, yes, he, he looks away and he falters, and we can pile on that. But again, no one else got out of the boat. No one else walked towards Jesus. 
But you also see this personality with Peter where he's sort of, he's over the top. He's kind of all in or nothing. If you can think of it, you remember the episode where Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples? And so he's washing their feet, and Peter comes in and he goes, there's no way you're washing my feet. You're not a lowly servant. I am. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, you don't understand. Unless you know, I wash you, I cleanse you, you won't enter the kingdom. You remember Peter's response? He's like, then wash my head and my whole body. Wash everything. Maybe... I can sympathize with it. I'm, I'm that way sometimes. Like, whenever I start a diet, which is like every Monday, it, it basically, you know, like, if we're going to order pizza, I either want zero pizza or, like, seven slices. You know, like, I have a hard time with that moderation. Or you plan your exercise, and it's like, I'm either not going to run or I'm going to run the marathon this year. You know, and it's kind of that no in-between. It's not a healthy way to be. It's definitely not a good way devotionally to be where you're kind of all in to read the Bible in six months and you're a month behind and that's it for the year type of mentality. It can be a struggle. And Peter has that a little bit, where he's either all in or kind of over the top one way or the other. And so you have this, this personality of Peter that emerges, and yet at the same time, in whatever faults there is in his passion, he obviously has a love for Jesus that matches anybody's love for Christ. He has a boldness of faith that surpasses anyone else who's around Jesus in the most difficult three years of Jesus' life. Peter is by his side, proclaiming him to be the Messiah. You see this love demonstrated. You see it early in the passage. You remember when Jesus foretells Peter's denial? Look back in verse 31 of chapter 22. Jesus here looks at Peter and says, Simon, Simon, that's Simon Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Obviously, you see Satan's fixation on Peter shows the kind of faith and boldness and leadership that he has, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for, your, that, prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, until you, until you deny three times that you know me. It's not a show that Peter's putting on here. Peter literally is saying, there is no way I'm denying you. I have your back. I am beside you totally. Have I not demonstrated my love and my allegiance to you? I would never deny you. I would go to prison. I would die. And Peter's not just saying it kind of because it's the right thing to do or just to put on a show. He means it. He loves his Lord. And you see this fleshing itself out even as we go through the passage in the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. You remember as he's betrayed, there's all these disciples with Jesus. The mob sort of starts to gather around and the high priest, and all of a sudden there's not all these disciples around Jesus anymore. There's Jesus and Peter. John would tell us Peter and one other disciple as well, probably John. And so here they stand, and 
they're coming for Jesus, Peter sees what's happening. And I think in his mind, here's the test that Jesus was talking about. Peter gets his hand on a sword, and he's ready to go to battle. And he hacks off the ear of the servant of the high priest. I think it's safe to assume he wasn't like just going for the ear to send a message. Um, the sword probably thundered down on a helmet, glanced off to the armor on his shoulder, and in the meanwhile, took off the exposed ear. <laughs> he has a love and an allegiance for Jesus. Even the part at the beginning of our section where it talks about Peter following from a distance, I think that's overplayed. In a lot of the semin- uh, um, not seminaries, a lot of the commentaries that I was reading, it talks about you can see Peter's faith is faltering because he's at a distance. Now, to me, it makes sense. He just hacked off the ear of someone in this mob, and so he's probably keeping a little bit distance from this mob, however it is he had to take off, but he's following Jesus. He's not abandoning Jesus. There's no one else following him. And so they come then to the courtyard. And in John, it's interesting, because John says that Peter comes with another disciple who had access to the courtyard. And so it's probably John talking about himself there. And so John either has some sort of connection or what, gets Peter access into this guarded area, this courtyard where Jesus is being held, and eventually he's going to be brought somewhere else in this area um, to stand before the council. And it's interesting, again, because John, it seems like he gets Peter in, but he's not really looking to go in himself. And so Peter still, there's a sense in which Jesus is getting drug off. I'm not going to let him go and suffer alone. And then here we are. Peter, who's shown all of this faith, and this genuine love, and this allegiance to Jesus, gets faced with a servant girl who comes up, and he's unprepared for the question. And he denies his Lord. We're going to look at a couple things, just for a few moments, but I think this is where we find ourselves. As people who genuinely love the Lord. People who would say, "Ah, I'm not going to deny my Jesus. I love him. That is my allegiance. It's to him. But when temptation arises and a decision needs to be made for how you are going to use the gifts that God's given you, how you're going to live in front of others, you're not ready for that moment. And you make a decision that denies that Jesus is king. So I want to look at what it is that moved Peter in this way and then look at the mercy of Christ and learn from it. So Jesus, Peter, is unprepared for this temptation. We'll just walk through the passage real quick. Peter is is unprepared. So he comes, he's waiting to see what happens with Jesus, and this servant girl comes and she thinks she recognizes him. I've seen you. I've seen you around. I think you're with Jesus. And his immediate response doesn't seem any hesitation is, no, 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 I'm not with him. You know, he feels the pressure that's mounting. Someone else comes and pushes it a little further. Says, no, I'm pretty certain you were traveling with him. You were there. I've seen you with him. Again, he denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. 
The third time someone hears him, he sounds, they can hear his Galilean accent, which even gives him away a little bit more. You sound like it, you look like it. We're pretty certain you were with Jesus. And he flat out denies once again, I don't know who this is. I don't know what you're talking about. The other gospel writer says that that last one was accompanied by cursing. All out rejection. No, it's not. How does Peter get to this point? I would say he's unprepared for temptation, and this is what I want us to learn from this morning. He's unprepared for temptation because he did not heed the warning of Jesus. He doesn't heed the warning of Jesus. We read it earlier in verse 31. Jesus comes to him and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I pray for you. Peter doesn't heed the warning. We know because it it must barely even register with him. That it's like, that warning's not for me. That's not who I am. Because it's in the same night that now he's denying Jesus. And he does so throughout the night, three times throughout the night. And it never crosses his mind once until morning rises and that rooster crows that Jesus told him, this is what's going to happen, be careful. And he just heard the warning. Here's the application. We hear warnings from Scripture all the time, and I think a lot of the time we just don't really hear them. Because we think that warning's not for me. That warning's for someone else. I've got it together. I love Jesus enough. I would never do that. And we don't hear or heed the warning. I mean, how often do you go and you find yourself right after reading some scripture, right after coming to worship together, and you're faced with temptation and you just say like the meanest, unkind thing to your wife or your husband, or, or you find yourself, you know, on the internet looking at things you should not be looking at. You find yourself acting at work a way you know is inappropriate, that people would have zero clue that you're a Christian the way you're acting. And you've just heard the warning from Scripture, but you don't really hear it. It doesn't register. The Lord uses the warnings in Scripture for our perseverance. The warnings and the promises serve one another. We've talked about that again and again. You will persevere by grace alone, but you won't persevere without hearing the warnings. That's the grace that God gives When you stand, when you sing, when you're confessing these things, when you're in Luke, when you're whatever it is, and you hear the warning go out, does it register for you as I need to be watchful? Watchful, I don't get distracted. I need to be careful. I need to give myself regularly to the means of grace because I can easily slide away if I'm not nourished by them. He was unprepared for temptation because he didn't heed the warning. Secondly, he was unprepared for temptation because of lack of prayer. I think we can see this as you move back in chapter 22 to verse 39. Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives. Verse 39, I'll read down for a few verses. And he came out, Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. And then Jesus prayed, and he comes back and and visits his disciples. Verse 45, And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. He said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, Peter maybe offered up a quick prayer at some point, but he's among these disciples who, you know, he's tired. He's sleeping. He doesn't get the enormity of the moment. And he hasn't given himself to prayer. You know, prayer and reading your Bibles. I know that's the simple application for everything. But none of us are good at prayer. None of us are really that strong at it. It's something all of us need to be continually by the Spirit striving for is to grow in our life of prayer. A chance to commune with God. And God tells us it avails, it's effective, it is necessary for your perseverance, for your growth. Even lays out for us in the Lord's Prayer this, this not just rote saying it, which is healthy to do, but a way of praying that God would provide your daily needs, that He would deliver you from the evil one, that He would protect you from temptation, that He would forgive and empower your forgiveness of others. And we have this privilege, we have this ability, but it's difficult. Because it sometimes feels like you're just talking and that's the end of it. And I think a lot of us give up way too quickly on pursuing the Lord in prayer. We don't use this pattern of the Lord's Prayer as we could, as a way of praying in a way that the Lord says He wants you to pray and He will hear you and answer you. Pray this way. And I think it's often, for my own heart, my own life, it's, I love Jesus. I'm not going to walk down that path of temptation. I love the Lord. I love him enough not to do that. I don't think I love him more than Peter did. When temptation came, he wasn't ready. Jesus, just before him, specifically said, pray that you may not enter temptation. Giving ourselves to prayer. He's unprepared because he didn't heed the warnings. He's unprepared because of lack of prayer. He's unprepared, thirdly, because of lack of awareness. This one I think you can just infer from what we know about Peter, what we see here. Our greatest character flaws are the ones that we are least able to see. We, we say that often from the pulpit here. You can't watch yourself by yourself. We have this really good creative ability to mask our weaknesses as perceived strengths. You know, for Peter, it was, you know, he loved the Lord. He's passionate, and it masks this weakness in him. I think the way often we think, sometimes we're even take pride or boasting in these weaknesses that we just don't see. I think a way it exposes itself often is, is that phrase you hear say, like, you know, I just say it like it is. I give it to them straight. And there's this kind of boasting and boldness that my strength is this, that I'm a straight shooter and I'm bold. And typically what it means is I don't care about other people's feelings. I don't listen. I just 
go off at the mouth. But we spin it to like, I say it like it is. And there's something to be said for boldness. Maybe on the other hand, you, you are a gentle and merciful person. But that can mask a weakness of not being able to offend anyone for the cause of Christ. A total fear of man. Oftentimes, our greatest flaws are ones that we can't see, we can't identify by ourselves. The way to identify them is, one, giving yourself again to the ordinary means of grace, to the Word. It is living, it is active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it exposes, it instructs. When you give yourself to the Word in that way, not only just to like study and come up with doctrine, but give yourself to the Word as it breathes life, as life-giving, as instructive, to cut away at your heart of stone, your heart of flesh, and to speak life and truth into it. The Word is powerful. It won't return void. Giving ourselves to the Word at the table that time of examination at the table as we, we look to the Lord, as we think, are we resting in Him? The Lord uses those times to expose in our heart sin that we're beginning to treasure. I think the other way is just is by one another, is by being around others. Sometimes you're around other Christians, other people who share the same weakness, and you can see it in them a lot easier than you can see it in yourself. Or maybe it's the opposite. You're around people who maybe you struggle with pride and you're around someone who just is a humble person, who kind of consistently demonstrates that and it speaks into your heart and your life. And then finally, you need to be able to hear correction and instruction from others. I think this is, especially in kind of current Christianity, this idea is so glamorized but rarely actually followed through with. Like this idea that we just, we share and we tell each other what's wrong and and we correct and we all need to be open to correct one another. And it sounds good and we like, you know, we link to the blogs that say that and we like it all. And as soon as someone says something that you don't want to hear, that all goes out the window. That person's a bully. That person's mean to me. All they want to do is attack me. We need to be able to hear instruction and correction from others. Primarily, you need to have someone, people in your life who you sort of give that privilege to, that can speak into your life in that way. And then you also need to be able to hear it from those who it's hard to hear it from, who you have a hard time trusting. They have your best interest at heart, but the Lord can still use a lot of that because there's still probably truth in some of what they're saying. Again, a lack of awareness made Peter unprepared for temptation. He was unaware of his weaknesses because he saw them as strengths. We can be that way. We need people around us. We need to be in the Word to have that exposed for us. Finally, he was unprepared for temptation because he lacked humility. Kind of goes along with the last one, but he lacked humility. He was totally confident. It's the kind of thing you're, he's almost, I love you so much, Jesus, that I don't need you right now to help me overcome this temptation. 
I have so much faith. I am so bold. I don't need you right now, Jesus, to help me. It sounds like a total contradiction, but we often act that way. We think we love the Lord, and in our strength, we're going to get it done for him. Instead of turning to the Lord in humble dependence in that prayer, acknowledging, no, I turn to him in prayer because I know in my own strength, no matter how much I love the Lord, when temptation strikes, I'm not always like this, ready to take it on. And it can come and all of a sudden, boom, you're denying Christ. And the pattern is just like Peter that we see in our own heart and our life. Once you make that first decision that denies Christ, it's hard to turn it around. You know, at work, when you act in such a way that people are like, he's a, you know, they'd have zero idea you're a Christian, it's hard for your next decision to totally turn that around. When you make a decision about your priorities with time and finances and all that, it's hard for that next decision to turn it around. Peter denied, and it was hard for him to turn it around, and it kept going. All of that, when we see Peter, it's not, look at that bad guy who denied Jesus. It's here's someone who loves the Lord, has faith, is bold, and yet he's unprepared to face temptation because he's confident in himself, not in the Lord. He needs to humble himself. So then we move and just hit the final couple thoughts here. He was unprepared to face the temptation. Then finally, he's overwhelmed by mercy. Verse 61, it's such a beautiful little scene. It's both kind of heartbreaking, the moment of such sorrow, and yet the moment of healing. That moment of recognizing you've turned from Christ, and yet at the same time, that moment of realizing that Christ is welcoming you back. I'll start in verse 60. He says, But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. The third denial. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, that is, morning came. And the Lord turned, and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. In that moment, that look. I don't know the exact scene. I'm guessing it was Jesus was taken that night and he's kind of put into holding. And as morning's starting to come, they're gathering the council together. They're moving him from where he was across to where the council is. And Peter, as he's in the courtyard, he's been denying all night long that he knows Jesus. As he walks across, he sees Jesus. Jesus looks at him. And there's overwhelming mercy and sorrow in that moment. B.B. Warfield um, comments on it this way as he was preaching on this text. He says, As our Savior was being tried and preparing to bear the sins of us all on the cross, he still had time to give one glance to a faltering disciple. And so to save that one soul in the saving of the world. All that was going on in the moment, the, the enormity of these final hours of Jesus' life, and yet boiled down as this one little relationship of someone faltering 
in temptation in the mercy of Jesus Christ in that glance. And Peter's overwhelmed by it. Verse 62, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Being overwhelmed with mercy necessarily includes repentance. He wasn't just overwhelmed with the look and that was the end of it. We begin to see here overwhelmed by mercy necessarily includes repentance. Peter begins to move forward in repentance. Listen to the definition here. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith, how it describes repentance. I think you'll see it laid out in the life of Peter. It says, Repentance unto life is a gift of grace, the doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith, as well as that of faith in Christ. By it, by repentance, a sinner out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for, hates his sin, as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Although repentance is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none can expect pardon without it. As there is no sin so small but it deserves damnation, So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. He looks at Jesus. He apprehends his mercy, the magnitude of the mercy of Christ in that moment. And he weeps bitterly. What's the difference between Peter and Judas in these stories? Judas is a disciple who denied Jesus. Peter is the disciple who has denied Jesus. Judas was sorry for his sin. We don't see it in Luke, but in other Gospels it's recorded. He is racked with guilt. He goes and he tries to take it back to the, the high priests and the people who he had turned Jesus over to. He throws the money back. He doesn't want it. I'm sure that Judas wept bitterly at points. But there's no repentance. He was sorry for his sin. He was sorry he got caught. He was sorry it happened. But he didn't apprehend the mercy of Christ. And he ends up hanging himself. Peter apprehends the mercy of Christ. He weeps bitterly for his sin. And then what do we know about Peter going forward? After Jesus' resurrection, he gathers his disciples together. I uh, think by the Sea of Galilee, and he's speaking to them. And, and three times, Peter affirms his love for Jesus. Maybe once for every time he denied him. As he moves on, who do we see emerging in Acts as this thundering, bold preacher of the truth of the gospel? Peter. As he stands before the most powerful people of his day who held 
his life in their hands and are putting him in prison and threatening him, he points the finger and says, you crucified the Son of God. But he rose again. Even as Jesus prayed for him, you remember early on when he says, you're going to fall into temptation, but I'll pray for you that your faith doesn't fail and that you can encourage others who falter. You see Peter doing that in his, the book of Peter that he's written. You see him encouraging others, and you see his faith ultimately didn't fall away. John records that he is faithful all the way, all the way to the end as he is crucified himself dies a martyr's death for his testimony for Jesus Christ. Here's how he did it. Here's a man who was bold, who loved the Lord, who, was, who had faith and knowledge, and yet he had grown in such a way that he felt like he had all of that, that he didn't really even need Jesus anymore to be a follower of Jesus. He wasn't dependent on grace. He wasn't dependent on going in prayer and looking outside of his own strength. And the Lord brings him low in this temptation as he falters and falls hard. And then overwhelmed by mercy, he truly repents. Repentance belongs to every Christian. I just want to encourage you in, you're going to fall. You're going to falter. But true repentance is a change of heart and a change of life. It's not just feeling sad right after the sin because you feel bad you did it. And then that's the end of it until the next day and the next day and the next day. But it's being overwhelmed by mercy that then changes the heart changes the course of life to move after Christ. It's not saying you successfully totally put away that sin from you forever. But a repentance isn't just the I feel bad about it and I'm crying, I made a bad choice like Judas. It's the weeping bitterly, overwhelmed by mercy that turns into a repentant life. So Peter, before we start piling on it, look at your own life. Are you prepared to face temptation? Not do you love Jesus, not do you have faith, not you know, are you sometimes bold. Are you prepared to face temptation? And by that I mean are you turning away from self to the Lord continually through word, through prayer, by involving others in your life? And then are you responding to your sin in true repentance? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word about Peter. Lord, we see the truth of the Christian life. We see the truth and reality of our own Christian walk exposed. Again, not a denial that you don't really love Jesus and you don't really care about the things of the Lord. I think most of us in here would say, no, that's not us. And yet a lot of us walk into each day totally unprepared to fight temptation, to live in such a way that places Christ and our boast in Christ and his authority in our life as forefront instead of denying that over and over and over again. So help us heed the warnings of Scripture for us to actually hear them, to actually pray that we would see victory in these areas, that we wouldn't falter, that we wouldn't 
fall to these sort of temptations. Dependent, turning to Jesus Christ, Lord. I'm going to invite the worship team up. If you would just remain for another moment, kind of quietly responding to the word that you've heard. And then in just a minute, we'll respond corporately as we sing together.